Well, good morning. Before we actually start the lesson, waiting for a few folks to come in, let me, we're going to be talking about uh, what, uh, technology this morning, and this is one of those things that I could easily do half a dozen lessons on and still not cover it all. And so what I wanted to do is mention to you a number of books that I found useful, and I'll leave them up here after Sunday school, and if you want to look those over and consider getting some of them uh, on this subject. These are some that I found helpful. One is called From the Garden to the City, Redeeming uh, and the Redeeming and Corrupting Power of Technology by John Dreyer. Uh, very good short read. Uh, Neil Postman, a couple of books by him. Some of you have read Amusing Ourselves to Death. But I really like his uh, older book called Technopoly. I uh, really enjoyed it. I'll have a quote from it today. Um, he actually wrote this before the Internet, so he's dealing with technology in a more general way, and certainly a lot of that applies to what we think of uh, in the electronic age. Um, Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other, another very helpful book. And then Habits of the High-Tech Heart by Quentin Schultz. I've also uh, benefited from it greatly. Read it a number of years ago. And uh, one of those that I used up, I think, a whole highlighter uh, on. So, And then the most recent one, one I highly recommend to you, if you're picking one book to read for your family, uh, I listened to this on audio, and then I purchased the book also. It's called The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. This is uh, a balanced book. He loves technology. He uses technology. This is not anti-technology. But he does bring it into perspective and has some very practical uh, guidelines. He says there are ten rules for his family. He said we don't always follow all of them all the time. We do better at some than others. You may find uh, six of them that you want to adopt. Very helpful. I think I mentioned he had one of the rules, for example, for their family is uh, one day a week, one, one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, they live without their technology. So, for example, perhaps at the dinner table, everybody turns their phones off, puts everything, turns the TV off. We sit down and actually have an hour together without that. Once a week, they use the Lord's Day. That's the day without the phone. We turn them off, and we do just fine without them. He said, always, always obviously, there are exceptions, people who are on call or that kind of thing. And then he said once a, a one week a year, he said, actually, our family does two weeks a year because I get, he said, I get two weeks vacation and we plan our vacation, go ride bikes, go camping, do all those things. And we leave our phones and I send out one of those automatic messages if someone emails me and says, if you're sending an email to me between this date and this date, I will never read it. Uh, so either, you know, so people just wait. And then he said, when I get back, they email me again. We do just fine. But anyway, those are kind of practical, helpful things that are not crazy and extremist kind of approach. But again, recommend that. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for our families. Thank you for our church. Help us, Lord, to learn, to grow, to expand the way we see the world, to see it in a more Christian way, and to be faithful in teaching our children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
as I said, we're not going to cover everything. In fact, I'm going to have to rush to cover what I have here. But when we have our meeting uh, on the Sunday night, parents, uh, this would be a good time. If you have particular questions or input on this subject, we can explore this further. So your best efforts at raising your children can be undermined in a moment. The devil always seeks to exploit the weakest point. Uh, he can find or he can create black holes in your house or at your house. Last week, I spoke of your children and the importance of community. Well, there are other communities out there that are seeking your children. How might we be ensnared by the devil? I bet screw tape, uh, if Lewis were writing screw tape letters, screw tape could ha- add a new technology chapter of advice to Wormwood. We need to know again, what are the boundaries? Does the world really need to know what you're telling them? Are these things being used to the glory of God? Are some of us more prone to these temptations than others? So when it comes to technology, remember, I'm talking to you about raising your children, but I'm also talking to you. Because remember, you're teaching your children. They're watching what you're doing. So a lot of what we're going to say here is not just about what you need to how you need to restrict your children or set boundaries for your children. They're how we need to set boundaries for ourselves. Do as I do, not just as I say. And so, it might be a sin for some and not for others. Um, And so, parents, have you conceded to peer pressure? Before, you know, we're concerned about our children giving in to peer pressure, what about you? Do we get caught up in the fads and the trends and what everybody else is doing as well? So what does the Bible say about technology? Dr. Van Til said, The Bible is thought of as authoritative on everything of which it speaks. Moreover, it speaks of everything. We do not mean that it speaks of football games, of atoms, etc. directly, but we do mean that it speaks of everything either directly or indirectly. It tells us not only of Christ and his work, but it also tells us who God is and where the universe about us has come from. And so the same is going to be true in this area of technology. While it may not speak directly to it, it certainly has many things to say indirectly. Just as the Bible doesn't mention the name of the person that you're supposed to marry, yet it has much to say about, uh, about who you should and should not marry. So too, the Bible doesn't mention technology by name. Nevertheless, it has much to say uh, about how it is and how it is not to be used. Since the technology is a tool, primarily a means of communication and entertainment, then everything the Bible has to say about words and images will apply. Moreover, since the technology is a means of expressing our thoughts and our hearts, then these biblical subjects will apply as well. Several other topics come to mind like commerce, time, community, accountability, and authority. Now, since technology constantly changes, we have to evaluate what lies behind its abuses and apply Biblical principles to new circumstances. But the Word of God is unchanging. But the world around us is constantly changing. We're changing. 
And so the need to make fresh application of the unchanging Word of God to these changing circumstances is critical. And so while the Bible doesn't specifically address the technology of our age, what it does address is the nature of men. It seems that today everyone either uses or is used by technology. And so the questions before us are these. Where are the boundaries? What are the dangers? And what are our obligations? Quentin Schultz, in his book, Habits of the High-Tech Heart, wrote this, History shows that every technological advance also delivers us to new delivers us to new moral quandaries. If we do not address such moral dilemmas, we will lose our capacity to act responsibly. And so we are prone, I think we all, many of us are prone, to adopt every new technology uncritically and with all the discernment of a vacuum cleaner. We don't ask enough questions. We make too many false assumptions about ourselves and our technology. Um, we we're prone to assume that the latest thing is always good. If version 1.0 was helpful, then 4.2 must be fantastic. Uh, nevertheless, we're, we've clearly seen that in the cyber world of the Internet, there is plenty of dishonesty, incivility, immorality, and foolishness. These ancient traits have simply found a bigger stage upon which to perform. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, All the celebrated technological achievements of progress do not redeem the 20th century's moral poverty. So more technology doesn't make us more moral. It gives us another tool to express our morality or lack of morality. We would do well to remember what E.I. Smith said, who was the captain of the Titanic. He said this in 1912, I cannot imagine any condition which would cause this ship to flounder. I cannot conceive of any vital disaster happening to the vessel. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. Archibald Charles J. Chanput observed, excuse me, Archbishop Charles J. Chanput observed, We certainly want salvation and we acknowledge that salvation is of the Lord, but for many of us, for many of us, tools function as a pretty good insurance policy just in case. We've learned to trust our own ingenuity because it works. Unfortunately, the construction crew at Babel felt the same. Finally, he said, We ought always remember that a fool is still a fool, even if the fool knows how to use the latest gadgets. So we should not be so naive as to think that there aren't competing worldviews at work when it comes to technology. In an interview with Time Magazine back in 1996, Bill Gates commented about his views of the inefficiency of religion. He said this, Just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. But the point here is that efficiency is only one value that a worldview takes into account. 
it's extremely dangerous to think that technology is neutral. Now, in one sense it is. It's a thing. But we are attached to that technology. We are using it, and we are never neutral. And the people who invent technology are not neutral. And the people who are figuring out ways to use that technology are not neutral. With it, we do change the world. But we don't change the world with it without it also changing us. And so when we grow so accustomed to a particular technology that we no longer examine it, then we are in danger of being enslaved to it. Admittedly, it would be much simpler if we could just label every technology either good, use it as much as you want, or bad, never use it at all. But as author Boyes says, technology is more like the yellow light on a traffic signal. It calls for a discerning look at the entire situation. The world has a long history of inventions that turned out to have unexpected consequences. One of my favorites was a documentary I saw on radiation. When they found radiation, they were so excited about this energy that had been discovered. And so they, one of the things that they sold were radiated water pots for your house. So you could get a, a crock pot, a crock, a ceramic pot that was lined with material that had been radiated. So it was radioactive. And you put your water in there, and then you drink your water, and you get radiation to give you energy. And actually, there were quite a few devices uh, that were made along that line. Uh, atom bombs, another example. Um, you know, when we discover things and invent things, then there are, again, often unintended consequences. And as I've said, it is important for us to know where the dangers are and to understand the boundaries. What does the Lord require of me and my children as we use these technologies? For example, uh, Turkle, one of the authors, notes, uh, we like it that the web, quote, knows us, but this is only possible because we compromise our privacy, leaving electronic breadcrumbs that can be easily exploited, both politically and commercially, and I would say spiritually as well. Facebook and Google are not your friends. but they do know a lot about you. It is no coincidence that these particular ads pop up on your webpage. Scott McNeely, co-founder of Sun Microsystems, speaking of the Internet, said, you have zero privacy anyway. Get over it. A decade later, Eric Schmidt and CEO of Google added a new spin, and he said this, if you have something you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. And that's true, but what he's saying is, and if you do, we're going to know about it. You should assume parents, children, young people, that whatever you post is seen by more people than you can imagine and that it will linger for a very, very, very long time, maybe forever. Your words, your photographs, your indiscretions, your immaturity have been documented. 
You represent Jesus Christ, you represent his church, you represent your family, and your reputation matters. One of the great problems with the internet and with a lot of technology, and and many of the new apps are aiming at this, is to try to figure out how you can do whatever you want to do with anonymity, How, how you can do it without being caught, how you can do it without being known, how we can hide things. And what does that make? What does the Bible say about darkness? Men love darkness. Why? Because your deeds are evil. And so we like the secrecy. We like the, the idea that we can do these things without being found. Tim Challies wrote, Admiral Lord Nelson once remarked, every sailor is a bachelor when beyond Gibraltar. This was a statement about anonymity, something that was quite rare a few generations ago. Nelson knew that once his sailors moved beyond the bounds of the British Empire, beyond society's systems of morality and accountability, they underwent a transformation. Every man became a bachelor and sought only and always his own pleasure. And Oz Guinness remarks that in the past, those who did right and those who did not do, did not do wrong often acted uh, as they did, because they knew they were seen by others. Got that? So people who did right and those who didn't do wrong restrained themselves. He said, acted that way because they knew they were seen by others. Their morality was accountability through visibility. And that's going to have some real application to how devices are used in your home and outside your home. How accessible are they? How visible are they? And how many things can be hidden? Because when things can be hidden, they will be hidden. And I have to say this is true for the best of homes. Neil Postman writes in his book, Technopoly, before Al Gore invented the Internet, and he said this, Most people believe that technology is a staunch friend. There are two reasons for this. First, technology is a friend. It makes life easier, cleaner, and longer. Can anyone ask more of a friend? Second, because of its lengthy, intimate, and inevitable relationship with culture, technology does not invite a close examination of its own consequences. It's a kind of friend that asks for trust and obedience, which most people are inclined to give because its gifts are truly bountiful. But of course, there is a dark side to this friend, Its gifts are not without a heavy cost. Stated in the most dramatic terms, the accusation can be made that the uncontrolled growth of technology destroys the vital sources of our humanity. It creates a culture without a moral foundation. It undermines certain mental processes and social relations that make human life worth living. Technology, in sum, is both friend and enemy. Just think of how technology is used in most homes, in many of our homes, as a babysitter. Entertainment, gaming. Daily news reports that more than half of U.S. parents, actually 58% have used a technological gadget to babysit or occupy their little ones so they didn't have to, according to a recent study uh, done from 
couponcodesforyou.com. And it says this, uh, research looked at 894 children between the ages of six months to two years between 2011 and 2015. In preliminary findings released today, researchers found that by 18 months of age, 20% of the children were already using handheld devices for nearly 28 minutes a day. The researchers found that this group of children were more likely to score below the 10th percentile on the speech domain of the assessment questionnaires indicating significant speech delays. Naomi Schaefer Riley writes, Obviously, there are times when using technology to entertain our children, particularly the young ones who don't know how to read and have more difficulty distracting themselves for long periods of time, is a great convenience. But these moments of necessity can easily slip into regular habits, just like we don't want to turn the occasional ice cream cone into a feature of our children's daily diets so we don't want to make it seem like screen time is the only way to get through the day. And then think of technology as information. Well, what kind of information? How about gossip? How about porn? How about worldviews? Is that information? What you know and what you've read on the Internet are not necessarily the same thing. The printing press advanced the cause of gossip and slander immensely, right? That was technology. Now we can print this. We don't have to hand copy it. We can print a whole bunch of them and and distribute leaflets and booklets and flyers and all kinds of ways to get this out. And so the telephone enabled more people to promote it even faster. And then what about the Internet? It is a giant megaphone or microphone. Virgil wrote, rumor uh, than whom no other evil thing is faster. Spurgeon wrote, a lie will go around the world while truth is still putting its boots on. Still earlier, Jonathan Swift wrote, In 1710, falsehood flies, and the truth comes limping after it. And so with the Internet, we now have an international way. The World Wide Web can instantly destroy, slander, gossip, lie. 1 Timothy 5.13, And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Boy, is that not what we have in spades. Social media provides fertile grounds for all kinds of other sinful expressions. There are all kinds of junk and trash to pop up, pictures and ads. In another direction, The allure of porn is that you think you can have the joys of sexual union without having the real relationship with a real person. And again, I'll deal more with this later when we meet on a Sunday night. But I do want to make one comment about the Internet and porn. Here's one mistake I think parents make. They think, that's my big concern. I don't want my children exposed to that nasty stuff. That's a good thing to be concerned about. 
And sometimes people think, well, if I've taken care of that, if I've guarded against that, then the rest of it's okay. And that's a big mistake. It's a big mistake. That's just one of the ditches. That's just one of the areas of danger. So don't fall into the trap of assuming if I can somehow guard against that one, then everything else is safe. Um, John Dreyer in his book, From the Garden to the City, writes, In pornography we find that what God had designed to be private, unmediated union of a committed man and woman has been distorted into a publicly available but privately accessed illusion of connection that happens through a screen-mediated look at an unmediated, that is, unclothed, human being. According to research from Family Safe Media, the largest group of viewers of Internet porn is children between the ages of 12 and 17. The average age of first exposure to Internet pornography is 11 years old. That's the average. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, I was going to paraphrase. Do a Google search on these things. Meditate on these things. Now, technology as communication. A lot of times that's one of the, all right, oh, my kids need a cell phone because they've got to be able to reach me, right? What if they have a car wreck? What if they're somewhere and they really need me and they forgot their homework and they really need me? Um, I'd like you to challenge you to think about that uh, a little stronger. First of all, how did they do that before cell phones? You know, we didn't all die before that was around. Uh, we figured out how to communicate and how to do things. And again, I'm not anti-phones and I'm not anti any of this stuff, but I am saying I am anti not thinking about it and just doing things because everybody else is doing it or making assumptions about it that might not be totally accurate. This year, and this is a quote here uh, from uh, uh, an article I read. Um, this was 2013. 81% of Internet-using teenagers in America reported that they are active on social networking sites more than ever before. So remember, you can say, oh, well, I need this phone in order to call mom or dad or reach somebody in an emergency. That's a good argument. But the question is, is that, what it's, is that the real reason that somebody wants it and the real reason of how it's going to be used? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and new dating apps like Tinder, Grindr, and Blender have increasingly become the key players in social interactions both online and in real life. Combined with unprecedented ease of access to the unreal world of Internet porn, the result is a situation that has drastically affected gender roles for young people. As of today, I had 1,436 friends on Facebook. I could not begin to list a list of 1,436 friends. 
The truth is, you are my friends. And you're my friends because I know you, and I know you, and you know me in ways that could not happen on the Internet. Social networks like Facebook, Twitter, and even texting provide some real benefits, but they also open up the door to some real dangers. And simply because we do recognize some real benefits should not lead us to ignore the real dangers. And some of those dangers are pretty big. Remember, how many? it's kind of like driving a car. You better know how to drive it and drive it safely. How many accidents does it take to kill you? Well, how many mistakes do you get to make with some of this stuff? So I know it's scary. It should be scary. And, if, and sometimes what, the way we deal with scary is we ignore it. We whistle through the graveyard. we just like, you know, oh, you know, no problem. We don't pay attention to it. We think if we ignore it or if we took care of one or two things, that that's enough. And that's, that's where the real dangers come in. I cannot tell you how many phone calls I've received, and not just locally, but from other churches and other pastors of some Family, Christian family, family has been in the church for years, families that never miss church, and they've got some uh, a tragedy all of a sudden has developed because their children had unfettered access, or if not unfettered, at least they had great access to these technologies that opened this black hole into their house. They thought they had taken care of everything. They either were homeschooling or had them in a Christian school, and they're in church all the time, and they they tell them what movies they can watch, and they, they, they do all these things, but here's this gaping hole. And back in the bedroom, and back somewhere else in the house when no one's looking, or sometimes sitting in the same room where they are because everybody in the room's looking at their devices, Right there, under their nose, something tragic is developing and beginning to happen. And again, I'll say more about that in a few weeks when we're together in a more direct way. Social media also provides stages for us to pontificate. Now, some people are capable of providing meaningful and substantial wisdom, but not nearly as many as who think they are or think they can. Humility is always attractive. Arrogance is always ugly, but arrogance on the World Wide Web is hideous. It is a magnified and amplified ugliness. And between the lurkers and the trolls, and there are people who apparently get up every day, and that's what they do, is they look for places where they can spew their venom and say ugly and hateful things and dispense what they perceive to be their great wisdom. And people are very much hurt by it. I've seen churches, I've seen our church hurt by it. People who don't know what they're talking about. People who say untrue things. And once it's said and once it's out there, it does its damage. And there's no way to retract it. There's no way to get it back. If you try to defend against it, then it just gets worse. And there's a piling on. It's, uh, it's like piranha. So then, my beloved brethren, James 1.19, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Proverbs 26.12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 
Proverbs 29.20, do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Social media can be a place for stoking of our pride. How many friends? How many likes? How many shares? Have you ever posted something and then checked frequently to see how many hits you've had? Were you disappointed if it wasn't quite as many as you'd hoped? Proverbs 13.10, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 29.23, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. So it can be a place where pride can be stuck. Remember, pride's the chief, it's the, it's the keystone sin, if you will. It's the primary sin that we all have to deal with. And so if these devices, if this medium is stoking our pride, then that's another great danger that we have to guard against. And then it's also, frankly, often, like many things in life, a colossal waste of time. In addition to time on Facebook and other social media, we are tempted uh, by checking our email, texting, surfing, lurking, and other similar black holes. God has called us to be productive, and the Internet is often a distraction with the illusion of productivity that keeps us from pursuing and doing what God has called us to do. How about read a book, have a conversation, go for a walk, clean the house, mow the grass? Could add to that list. Fix that broken thing. The kids might be sucked in by video games, but of course adults have their own temptations. And so parents, what kind of examples are you setting? Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. I never noticed that word device in there, but it fits uh, in this context, right? You don't get to take your devices with you when you go. I jokingly said when I built my casket last year that I was going to put a cell phone recharger inside of it. Um, That, of course, won't do any good um, for a lot of reasons. So technology can also tempt us to steal. Steal from our employers by not giving a full day's work, by spending your hours at work playing, lusting, surfing, lurking, posting, or just checking. Time is a commodity that can be used. It's a commodity that can be wasted, and it's a commodity that can be stolen. And you shall not steal. Bond servants, employees, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So what is the one thing? And again, this is, man, I know this is just a flyover. There's so much to address in this area, and and we want to continue this conversation. But I want to challenge you as Christians, as followers of Christ, to consider what God's Word says. You see, the Word of God is the one thing that does not change through the ages. Yes, sir?
I have read something, there's, there's a lot of new research coming out on the impact of people depending, you know, based on number of hours, just, just hours spent, apart from things like uh, the things we've been talking about, the other sinful things, but just sheer amount of time spent staring at screens and not being around people and not interacting. And I, I don't have anything particular to cite this morning except to say I've read so much on this that I know there's a lot out there, a lot of really good articles and new research that's, that's coming out all the time that is pointing out a very serious problem. Anytime we're not developing real human relationships, God made us to be what? A community, a communion of love. People who isolate themselves, people who are drawn inside and who don't ever get up and talk to people and interact, who just who withdraw and go, I just want to be alone, I want to be with my device, I want to be with all by myself, are never, ever healthy people. They're going to have emotional issues. So um, I would urge, uh, that's a good point, and I think that's uh, another area of, of concern with your kids. Uh, if you want them to have healthy relationships and mental health, then this is an area... I think, of great concern. Um, so the Word of God is the one thing that doesn't change through the ages. We know from the Gospel of John that Jesus himself is the Word of God. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Moreover, we have been born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so if we are going to faithfully negotiate the age in which we live, whatever that age is, what's the one thing that we all need to have set before us? As we rise up each morning, and as we go to bed each night, and as we live in between, Remember, Solomon had explored every area of life, every new technology. He had the means and the ability to do so. He was seeking the true meaning of life as he explored these things. And in the opening chapter of Ecclesiastes, he observes, that which has been is what will, will be. And which is done is that which will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the things that are to come by those who will come after. In principle, there's nothing new. No matter what technology we've had throughout the ages, what's what remains constant is God and sinful humanity. We just figure out new ways to do what we do, to be who we are. So use the technology in your households with your kids. Teach them to use them the way you would teach them to use their spoon and fork. Not to stab each other. Not to hurl across the room but to use them for good purposes, to put food in their mouths, to be nourished, to be helped. Teach them to use technology the way you teach them to do the other things 
They are tools to be used for a good purpose. So if you're teaching your son how to use a hammer, don't just hand him a hammer and disappear. And, and, and don't be, if you do that, don't be surprised when you come back and something has been hammered that shouldn't have been hammered. Something is broken. He was trying out the hammer. That's what kids do. Your job as parents is to teach them. This is what a hammer is for. This is what a saw is for. This is how you use it. This is how you don't use it. This is how you, how you are safe, and this is how you're unsafe. If you do it this way, it does good things. If you do it this other way, it will kill you or injure you or injure other people. And that's true of all technology, and we have to start thinking about this more deeply. If you and your spouse have not had a conversation about this and have a policy, a well-thought-out, and you say, well, we don't know where to start. Well, I've recommended some books. I would, again, start with the uh, Andy Crouch book. would be a great place to start, make you some great questions to think through. You see how little it is. You can, you can get that and get through it in a hurry. Um, That'd be a very practical way to get started on this question. And you don't wait till they're 15 to start thinking about this. This is, this is the world we live in. And by the way, it's not like we've arrived now. It's changing every day. I don't know what's coming next year, next, uh, you know, two years from now, ten years from now. Everything you've got now in ten years will be obsolete, maybe in five maybe in five minutes. There used to be a commercial I like where a guy had gone to a computer store and bought a new computer, the latest thing, and on the way home they were putting up a new billboard, and it was something the same computer, but it was the new 5.0 version. He had bought the 4.0 version. He literally was on his way home from the store, and the sign was going up. Well, that's kind of the image of what we've got. And so remember, and a part of the technologies that are coming out are, are especially focused on your children, because that's a future market, right? If we can get them now, if we can get our brand, we can get our apps, our devices into their hands. Uh, so what do we want to do? We're going to cater to them. What do they want? They want secrecy, privacy. They want to do things their parents don't know about. And um, there's another thing here that I'll just mention, and that is that sometimes we think, uh, this is a big fallacy I think schools have sometimes gotten into. That, well, we've got to have, a com- we gotta have computers because, man, we need our kids to learn. You've got to have computers to learn, right? And sometimes what happens is that an older generation sees kids, they get a hold of an iPad, and they're three, and in two minutes they know how to operate it. And they're doing this, and they can punch in and pull up their favorite little app, and, and they're just amazed at how smart they are. Because we look at somebody who's older who doesn't know, you know, gets confused after step number three and doesn't know how to operate this thing. So the kids these days must be super smart because they can do all this stuff. And I think that is a really bad illusion uh, and a bad conclusion. You know, it, it is learning is hard work, and it's learning is done the same way it's always been done. Somebody smarter than you has to teach you something. And if you're handing that task over to, your, to, your, to the devices that are in your home, your kids are going to learn all right. But they're going to learn from a different teacher than you. 
That's your job. And so don't make assumptions that can really bring great destruction. And I know there are testimonies all over that will back up what I'm asserting here about this. Let's not add yours to that list. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings it gives, for the truth that it reveals, for the uh, fact of your holiness and the fact of our sinfulness and how mankind's history has been one of creating all kinds of devices and things and technologies uh, on the one hand that exercise dominion over the earth, that do great and wonderful things, but also in the hands of sinful men can do equally destructive things to individuals and families and societies. Lord, give us wisdom to know the difference and how to use these things to your glory and to protect our children in the process. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.